Hey everybody, Robert here. Be sure to check out our sponsor, SkeletonOptics.com. That's SkeletonOptics.com. They're a veteran-owned company. Former Marine, by the way. They have Italian handcrafted frames and Carl Zeiss lenses. You can also check out their ballistic sunglasses. Brand new. Use the code MENTORS4MIL the number four MIL, and the proceeds from that will automatically help us support veteran nonprofit charities. Also, when you get the opportunity, head over to Facebook and join our team room page by searching Mentors the number four MIL, looking at groups, and then join the team room. You can also find out more information about what we're up to by going to our LinkedIn page. Okay, on to this topic. Tonight's topic is going to be something a little bit different. The podcast hosts decided to get together and talk about a number of different things, primarily starting off with Parkinson's Law. We'll get into that into a little bit of detail, but it wasn't too long before we started talking about leadership and management. Now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Mentors for Military. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. All right, in this podcast, I thought it would be really cool to start talking about something that everybody does. At some point in their life, they procrastinate. They put things off until later. But what they also do is they tend to fill that void or that period of time with stuff that probably doesn't matter. As an example, they use an Asimov corollary to Parkinson's law, and that's kind of what we're talking about, that in 10 hours a day, you have time to fall twice as far behind your commitments as in five hours a day. So in other words, if you gave yourself two hours, five hours, but even though you only had eight, you'd be more likely to do it and focus on that and um, less likely to fill the rest of your day up and put it off until tomorrow because it's something that you didn't want to do and you felt like you had plenty of time to get it done anyway. Yeah, it's it's something I think everybody does, um, you know, and we we see it in all walks of life, whether it be in personal life, in in business, uh, in, in the military, if you're given a specific time frame to complete the task, you'll take 100% of that time frame. Now, the task may be able to be completed in 10 minutes, one hour, or eight hours. But whichever the time frame you're given, you'll occupy that entire time. Um, what One of the things Parkinson's Law talks about is the complexity of the task expands in proportion to the length of time given to do that task. So, you know, if, if you was given the task of painting a fence and you had a, uh, one hour to do it in, you'd get on with it, open the tin of paint, get your brush out, dip it in and start painting the fence. But if somebody gave you eight hours to paint that fence, well, you will get the masking tape out and you'll start taping off on the bottom of the, uh, the fence, you know, so you don't get any um, paint onto the floor. And then which brush do I use? Do I use the four inch wide brush? Do I use... So I get the one-inch brush out as well for cutting in the corners. And ultimately, at the end of the task, you've still achieved painting the fence. But you've just made the complexity of the task bigger and bigger and bigger and thrown more variables into it. And like you were saying, Robert, more variables gives you more opportunity for things to go wrong as well. So that can be a, a negative thing. But it's it's something we all, I personally do it in life, you know, and I'll take, no matter how much time somebody gives me, I'll take that time to do the task. Well, especially if you're given the opportunity even to provide a time. So, hey, Scott, how long is it going to take you to do X? You're more likely to give a lot of fluff, an extra buffer of time within that because you want to be able to have the latitude in in case something does go wrong. But what you also may end up doing is adding more than what you really need. So in other words, let's say it only should take you two hours out of a five-hour limit that you set for yourself, but you'll say 10, and you'll take eight to not do anything, and then all of a sudden you'll take the last two to do something. And so, but we tend to use that as part of our way of procrastinating and putting things off. In some aspects, it can be a good thing because a typical military trait is attention to detail, you know, and how much... um, detail you look into within a task and and really drilling down in, into the uh, the minute detail and excelling at something but depending on what the task is you can over engineer something and really over complicate it and and that's what one of the things parkinson law like i just was talking about goes into and the more time you've got to do something the more ability you've got to drill down into something but that task may not need to do that 
uh, and that just drills you on and drills you on to to overcomplicate things and ultimately can lead to failure because you tie yourself up in knots then with complexity as opposed to simplicity and you know in in military for example keep it simple stupid the kiss principle it's it's often the best thing for us to do is to keep it as simple as possible so that everybody can follow it simplistically but if you've got that ability to expand on the detail and the complexity through time you can all, often over engineer it over um complicate things and really really cause ourselves problems when when it comes to the task i guess you touch up on something uh, interesting you overcomplicate things i think as someone that's uh, a perfectionist or they have to have every aspect completely thought out you you spend so much time thinking on completely different things of the what if outcomes so you want to perfect every single little detail and that takes a lot of time and then at the end it just leads to something else which leads to something else which leads to something else and you end up worrying about things that don't even really matter but instead of focusing on the main thing that you started off with there's another aspect to it as well aj i guess with with, with that is People often confuse working harder rather than working smarter with something. So like you mm -hmm. was just talking about, you know, overcomplicating things um, and trying to be a perfectionist and reach perfection where, you know, very rarely a task needs to be completed perfectly. It mm -hmm. just needs to be completed sufficiently and appropriately, you know. That's going um, to work. Absolutely. And, and like you said, people can try and be perfectionist with things, but... People, like I, like I was just alluding to, people can confuse that with working harder. I've got to do more. I've got to achieve more to get that done better as opposed to working smarter, you know, and delegating tasks out to the appropriate um, teams, uh, team members, knowing the strengths of your team and what each individual strength is and giving specific tasks to the right individuals as opposed to just grabbing the first person that comes along and that person's got to work twice as hard to achieve the same standard as uh, the person who likes minute detail or data analytics or whatever it may be that their strength is. Um, and that's part of, I guess, the, the complexity of it. And we can make things complicated because we're just trying to fill the time again, like Parkinson talks about, expanding the time of the task to fill the, the time criteria. I think it, uh, his law even goes into, he expanded upon it within his book into um, things like the law of triviality. And I think in some cases, that's what a lot of people do too when they start, you know, filling out their void of time if they have more time is they start focusing on the things that are they're most comfortable with based on the skills or knowledge or expertise that they may have and so let me give you an example you know they may end up filling more time in a meeting or a setting in which they would rather discuss a specific topic or a specific thing about what's going to be made within this decision because that's what they know and they feel more most comfortable about. You you mentioned there, Robert, about meetings, you know, and people expanding on a meeting for what they're comfortable with. And, and in the UK, we have a, a saying about sometimes people like the sound of their own voice and they just like to talk and talk and talk. Uh, and sometimes it can be, you know, a, a weakness of them. Yeah. <laughs> You know, lots of people do it because that's what they're comfortable with and they'll waffle on about something and slightly go off to a tangent, off on a tangent and get themselves into their comfort zone and what they're talking about. But with regards to meetings, how many times have, have you been to a meeting and, and often, you know, if you're using something like Outlook, for example, for your, your meeting calendar, when you're organizing meetings, standard times is in 30 minute blocks. Mm -hmm. But the meeting can often be done in probably 10 minutes and... um I think it was Phil Hay St. Clair who talked about um, meeting timings in one of his blogs where he said, come in, set a timer for 10 minutes and be succinct with what you want to cover in that meeting. Good morning. Thanks, everyone, for coming. This is what we're here to talk about. These are the points. So point one and straight into it. Anybody got any questions on that? Anybody got any input into that? Okay. Point two and the next one and just move through it. And you'll be done within five to ten minutes. What would normally be a standard 30 or, or even, in my experience, everyone blocks out an hour 
for a meeting. Or better yet, how about having an agenda of which you send out material as read ahead ahead of time with clear yeah. objectives. Mm-hmm. And then when you come in there and to your point, you already know what you're coming there to meet about and everything. And then when you leave the meeting, you have action items and takeaways of what people have to do to either reach a conclusion or people have been assigned responsibilities to execute. I think it's something that lacks not just within the military, but the private sector. Everybody has problems with meeting time management and uh, filling up their time and how the best use of other people's time should be. It's just not well done out here. It isn't. It isn't well done. And it's the same in the UK, you know, and I think part of it comes across that people don't want to seem too robotic and too unfriendly, you know, And, and particularly in the UK, everybody turns up with a cup of tea and, yeah, you know, is there's there's a conversation of how's everything going and golf and mm-hmm. whatever the the normally the ring, uh, and you know, there's ten minutes gone there. Then we'll talk about the meeting, and halfway through, someone like, oh well, I I remember back when this happened, and you know, there's a there's a, a story. Let me pull up my sandbag and you know swing the the lamp, and <laughs> off they go about something else about fifteen years ago when something happened that's not even relevant and then the meeting comes back in but instead of being in control of the meeting and like you said you know agenda's gone out beforehand these are the questions the points we want to talk about so point one is blah 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 what do we think about it and give us your input and really taking control of that meeting it seems very robotic and cold almost and clinical and, and people i feel don't want to come across as that person. If a whole business was like that, then it'd be super efficient, you know, and being super efficient will allow extra time in the day for being human again. And, you know, you look at a lot of forward thinking companies, Google, for example, you know, they'll often have fun things to do within their office. And they've they've got the slide instead of the stairs and they've got the computer games and the foosball table and you know, because when it comes down to it and achieving a task, they're super efficient with it and organized and they push on and drill through it. But then that frees up time within the day. Um I th- I can't remember if it was Google or whether it was someone like uh Netflix or Airbnb. Um they've they had an 80-20 work balance, which was 80% of your work time was for company-designated tasks. But they gave you 20% of your work time to be creative and do whatever you thought could benefit the company. And you could run your own projects, you know, and obviously budget aside, if you thought you had a great idea, you had to approach someone and get approval for a budget but they allowed you 20% of your work week to go and do something that you thought would benefit the business. And that might not just be through revenue. That could be through improvement in morale, improvement in facilities, whatever it may be. And they found they had a lot better output from the people because it was something that 20% then was completely you running it. And it was completely you invested in it and you were steering the boat, so to speak, you know, and, those forward-thinking companies, coming back to um, Parkinson's law, they can be they can seem very cold when it comes to the meeting aspect of it, because it's it's avoiding what Parkinson's law says, and it's really drilling down into what do we need to achieve, how are we going to achieve it, let's just get it done, and then that frees up a whole host of other time to be doing extracurricular activity almost you know i'm working on continuous improvement and and things like that to really drive a business forward i think it also matters that whoever's hosting the meeting takes lead of that meeting um too often i feel that meetings are just there so we can come together and and talk about things uh most of the time if i'm invited to one of these meetings i'm just like don't waste my time i don't want to be here if we if we're going to have a meeting it's because it's something important or we need to get something done but not just oh how are y'all doing well what's your opinion on this well what do you think and what do you think and then 20 people start saying what they're thinking and nothing gets done and so we just walk out of there just what just happened i don't know what happened nothing we didn't discuss anything really important and nothing's being done about anything so that's that's 20 people one hour 
an expensive meeting man hours yeah. yes yeah. that we could have been doing something else that was productive or if it's something short where you want to get someone's opinions just send an email out <laughs> I used to cancel meetings and stuff when I didn't feel like there was an importance. And I think that was where people would come up to me and they were, some would thank me and others would be like, why didn't we have a meeting? And it's like, well, if we don't have anything that I feel like is, could really be discussed, I've got it on our calendar so that it's blocked off and we have dedicated time towards that. But that's an hour or an hour and a half or two hours or even 30 minutes or whatever I'm going to give back to you. And to your point before, if we go into that type of setting and it's a 30-minute meeting, but I'm trying to get it done in 10. I want to try to work towards trying to give them back 15 to 20 minutes of their time. And if somebody wants to sit there and continue rambling on to trying to uh, share a story, I'll either get them back on point or I'll say, all right, that's something you can do on your own time after this meeting, but we're trying to drive to a conclusion here. I, I don't think enough people do that. And I think a lot of that is because going back to Parkinson's law or how I teed this thing up, there are a lot of people who want to try to fill the void to make it seem as though their level of experience is very, very broad and very deep and everything. When in reality, it's very shallow. They may not know everything that they come across as thinking or saying that they know. And so they make up for it by trying to focus and tell their stories of, of things that make it seem as though they have a wealth of knowledge. And that's that's where they're trying to just uh, cover for their mistakes. And as a leader, you should be able to pick up on that rather quickly as to what type of person do you have? Do you have a go-getter and a person that's got a very narrow approach to how they're wanting to do things? Or do you have somebody that's really wanting to just sit and pontificate all the time? She's already reckoning for, um, for, for proof in the pudding, if you like. How many times have you gone to a meeting on a Friday afternoon? And, and let's just assume you finish at five um, every day of the week. And you go to a meeting at 3.30 on a Friday afternoon. Everyone drags that meeting out to last till five o'clock because they don't want to go back and start anything else. Mm. How many times have you been to a meeting at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon? That's the most productive, quickest. Everybody, meeting. yeah, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a great no, point. Yeah. I've got an end point here, 5 p.m. And I want to be out the door because it's Friday weekend starts. And you yeah. can fit the same amount into that 3.30 to 5 meeting and you can fit exactly the same amount into the 30-minute 4.30 to 5 o'clock meeting. Mm -hmm. No, I see it all the time. And that's a great example. As a matter of fact, if people know that they have to do something with this within a specified time and they're being paid, let's say, hourly or that they have to be there, to your point, that's exactly how they're going to do it. They're going to try and stretch the full day and try to make it as, as seem as though they're very important or whatever they're doing is of importance. And when the reality is they baked an hour and a half meeting because they only need 20 minutes really to discuss it, yeah, I, th I think what you've got to be careful of by trying to control Parkinson's law as well is there's a very fine line between being efficient with your time and not having enough time. And you can, you can, you know, you can say, right, I'm going to take control now of a meeting and I'm going to schedule my meeting blocks in 15 minutes instead of an hour. And you think, right, I can get everyone together and control them. And sometimes it's a little bit like trying to herd cats you know when you get everyone into the meeting and right everyone get your laptop shut and your phone uh, off and let's start the meeting this is the agenda i sent out this is what we're going to do and just physically to to host a meeting with 15 people let's say it can take 15 minutes just to get two or three people to give an opinion on one point okay. so you can try and control it and be too extreme with your control and then all of a sudden you start failing very rapidly because you haven't given yourself a realistic amount of time to what you need to achieve it so if, if you are going to experiment with con taking control of parkinson's law and uh, procrastination and uh, not over complicating and not making tasks fit the time frame available just be wary of not giving yourself enough time to do a task and it takes a bit of experimentation, I guess, to, to understand typical group size and what the natural length of time to get round an opinion off each person. You know, if each person gives 30 seconds on a point and you've got 10 people in a room, then that's going to take up five minutes worth of time instantly to start with, you know. AJ, to your point of calling meetings that are not just being productive and there's, there's no real decisions that are coming out of that then if you're in a position to make a change, you've got to stop those and make sure that you establish that you can't just take other people's time and uh, there's got to be clear objectives. 
if we don't say something, they might not even be aware of what they're doing either. So that it's just bringing it up and, and talking to them that they might, you know, the, the, the light might go off and be like, oh, that makes sense. I, I didn't think of it that way. And it's just having that open dialogue with whoever you're working with. So you guys can work together to better things. I think something we got to bear in mind as well, particularly in the military side of things, and it, it does go on to a certain extent in the private sector. But, I mean, I've, I've been out of the, uh, the, the army now for 14 years. But when I was in, often there was a lot of purposeful procrastination. So you had your set working day, and if you weren't doing something you'd get spammed for a shitty job, you know, and you wanted to be, right, making yourself look busy. And you could yes. always tell who they were. The people walking around with some kind of, you know, they'd have the day sack on their back and they'd have uh, the old tactical clipboard in their arm and they'd just yeah. be walking around camp and people would be thinking, well, he's got to be doing something. He's got a clipboard in his hands, you know. And you're just <laughs> making yourself look busy and just walking around with your clipboard and, yeah, I'm just, just off to um, count something or whatever excuse you could come up with. And meetings come into that as well you know and people know i've got to fill my day and to make myself look like i'm busy i'm going to organize a meeting and really i need 10 minutes worth of time but i'm going to drag it out to an hour and they'll specifically do that and it comes down i guess to poor leadership and people can be dragging their subordinates into that procrastination then and trying to fill their time with Look how important I am. Look how busy mm-hmm. I am. I'm, I'm having four meetings a day of an hour each. And really, if you looked at what the outcomes were of those meetings, they've achieved nothing other yep. than filling up most of their, day, their diary for the day meetings. with meetings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, it, it, I used to see it quite a lot in the military. Oh, uh, it still happens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. It's a military. You know, it's... People, people become good at it because you were getting out of a shitty job, potentially. I think I, I, I really, really strongly dislike those people that they just like to look busy. Uh, say you take two people. One person, they make lists. They, they go down the list. They prioritize well. They, they have great time management. And there's somebody else that just is just trying to look busy. So as this other individual is doing what they're supposed to be doing throughout the day because they did great time management, then they end up being done with their work. And what what some leaders do, they give them more work. You're done with your work? Okay, here's some more. But then you have this other person that has not done anything all day, but because they look busy, they don't bother them at all. And so now you have one person that's good at their job, but now you're overworking them while this other person's not good at their job and they're just there. I've seen that more than not, uh, where actually managers are managing their people incorrectly. Uh, how they're defining it is, to, to your point, if they look busy and they're putting in long hours, it must mean that they're very productive. And Scott, you yep. just gave a very similar example. Whereas on the other side of it, you may have somebody that does better quality work in, in a smaller amount of time, but they feel like, you know, you're kind of lazy. You don't have enough work to do, those types of things. And it's, so it's all about the metric. In, in those cases, I think what you should be doing is assigning work in such a way that you're you're trying to determine whether or not you're giving me good product, good quality product within a specific amount of time that I've designed for you. And if I'm not then challenging you in such a way to take up additional time, then shame on me, not shame on you. And there's an old commercial here that was in the uh, the States where uh, I don't remember uh, what it was, but there's this guy who is in the office place and he gets his call from his buddy and his buddies are at the uh, the club and everything and they're telling him, hey man, come join us. And he's like, no, no, man, I got to work. I'm sorry, I can't make it. And um, he hangs up the phone and he gets to thinking about it and he has some chips or something like that that's sitting next to him so he opens up the window and he crumbles the chips up on his keyboard starts getting the uh, the pigeons to come into his office and they're pecking away at his uh, his keyboard where the food is at and he walks out a couple hours later his boss comes walking by and they they're having a conversation all of a sudden they stop and they hear the keyboard ticking inside the uh, the office and they go my god that's scott man he's a hard worker you know here it is at 10 o'clock at night and he's still in there pecking away you know 
<laughs> you know what? That brings me to a good point. Perception is reality. Yeah. Somebody that might be getting their job, their daily tasks done, and they leave at 3 p.m. compared to somebody that hasn't done anything, but because they're staying till seven, they're working. Right. That 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 to me is so unfair. But that's also uh, management where they do need to to know their people. They need to. He could have that that example you gave. He could have gone inside and and seen. Oh, hey man, what are you working on? It's it's kind of late. And then that he would have noticed. Oh, there, there's nobody there. It's the pigeons. What aren't we talking about then? Pavlov's law. So uh, customers as well as employees, everybody is going to do whatever it is that you establish as the criteria. If I say to Scott's point that you have to be here until five o'clock, then you're going to fill the void in some way. Because if you leave, to your point, you're you're seen negatively. If I then tell customers that I want them to start doing something particular, I change their behavior. Like for instance, I'll share you with you airlines as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, certain airlines charge bag fees. Customers started realizing that I'll carry on my bag and uh, because then you won't charge me or anything. The airlines started realizing, well, we can't put all these bags on the aircraft. So what we'll start doing is allowing customers to, for free, check their bag with us at the gate. That way we can get more baggage into the compartment and less than the overheads. So customers automatically said, well, instead of paying for it up front, I'll take the risk. I'll go to the gate, see if I get it for free. If I don't get it for free, I'll try to get bored early enough where I can get my my bag on and put it in the overhead. Well, then one step further for those people who can't get their bags on in the overhead once the plane is full... Well, guess what? They get their bags for free checked as well. So you've now conditioned everybody to not go to the point of actually paying for a bag up front. You've now conditioned them to go through the overhead route or to get it for free by going to the gate. It's a behavioral change that has taken place if you set the type of culture and the tone from a management standpoint of certain expectations, people will then find a way to get over and adapt to that. But also, it's their responsibility to set the expectations and hold them accountable when they're not meeting those expectations. If they know how to measure them and the metric correctly. Yes. I can't remember the the name of the business, but it was a lady who set up um, a company, a tech company. And she basically started recruiting people and bringing them in as she was scaling the business up and expanding quite rapidly. And she decided, I'm not going to give any holiday allowance to anybody. She said, you manage your time off completely. If you want to take one day off a year, take one day off a year. If you want to take 200 days off a year, take 200 days off a year. Your salary is set, and that's where you get paid per year. And this is the workload that I expect you to achieve. You need to manage your department and get the task done. And if you can fit that into a 20-hour week, take the rest of the week off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll take a 60-hour week, you know, and it's a little bit of give and take. And people's perception then of what you need to to do within your week rather than saying it's a 40 hour week and you come in and you do your 40 hours eight hours every day monday to friday but you come in then and going back to parkinson's law you naturally become more efficient with your time and managing your time because it's incentivized you know if i can drill all my meetings down to monday and tuesday and then i got wednesday to achieve the action list that come out of uh, all of those meetings, I'm having Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, and I'm back again into Monday because you've incentivized, incentivized that and motivated somebody to manage their own life. There's what we got to get you to do. You do it in whatever way you want, however you want to achieve it, and if the time is yours, do what you want with it. Well, I would imagine then, and I don't know the story that you're describing, but I would imagine based on other models that I've seen that did something very similar to this, that the quality and productivity didn't actually decrease, that the quality probably went higher because they're they're wanting mm-hmm. to retain their employment and show that they're a productive employee so that they don't get let go because this is a really good job. It's a really Absolutely. good place to work. I mean, if, if you get a bonus scheme within your company, for example, 
that's essentially what a bonus scheme is, isn't it? You set your metrics, going back to you know KPIs and metrics, you get the right metrics for what you want to achieve as a business. So some businesses set a bonus scheme, for example, based on profit. So they'll percentage it out against uh, certain profit bands. Others then will say, well, actually, we want to be a quality-focused business, so we're going to put split the bonus scheme into um, profit-based, but also a quality aspect of it. And that can lead to slowing it down because you want to get right first time, for example. Mm-hmm. You want to get everything right first time. So that slows down and your efficiency can drop. So then they introduce a third metric then, which is your, your right first time against the speed of work metric. And then you can eventually get the balance right to achieve. And you can split the percentages differently to you know, weight it more towards quality, weight it more towards um, speed of work and efficiency, and you can get it right for what you want as a business then. And like you said, Robert, it's coming down to those metrics and how you measure things and what you want to achieve, how you set those measures then. You can achieve different things by setting different measures. Yeah, what we're talking about KPI that you mentioned is key performance indicators. So you look at those things that are really key to the performance of whatever it is that you're wanting to do. And now this applies both to the military and the private sector. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Let's focus on those things that are most important to drive that. What is the behavioral change that I want to drive within my organization to get us there that's going to inspire them to want to be better themselves as well as to improve the organization? And Let's face it, those companies that have the best retention are those uh, those companies that in, do what you're talking about. They actually empower their people. They give them mm-hmm. some ways in which they motivate and inspire them to want to do more than what's required. For instance, there are some companies out there, I thought you were going to say, Scott, that actually gave, uh, like I've seen, that have given a lot of vacation you know, 60 days, 100 days, and everybody thinks, oh my God, that means how can you get anything done? Everybody's leaving to go on vacation. Yet, but what I found in those situations uh, by going and evaluating those companies each time that they're in that situation is that 80 to 90% of that company has use or lose days because they roll them over to the following year because they never use them. Yeah. And in some cases, they lose them all together because if companies don't have a use or lose situation or they don't have a rollover situation, I should say, Uh, then they end up losing those days, but it doesn't bother them, but they're really passionate about what they do. They Mm want to see the organization grow. Taking vacation to them is not something that's as important. I know it sounds foreign to some people. Yeah. I I read once about um, a company who understood exactly that principle and people being passionate and caring about the business. And it was completely throwing their work-life balance because they were in the office till eight, nine o'clock at night, you know, and then doing your hours commute and getting home. You weren't seeing the kids from Monday to Friday. So they enforced uh, a rule that if you were still in the office after 5.30, you were, you were actually calling to, you know, not quite a disciplinary, but a formal meeting to explain to your line manager, look, you didn't clock out till 6 p.m. last night. What was going on? If you need more assistance, if you haven't got the resource to complete the mm-hmm. task that you've got in front of you, say, we'll sort that. We'll it starts looking point. negative now. Yeah, to your point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it, they completely flipped it round and, and because they realized that work-life balance is equally as important to people in the long term. What you described was that they flipped it on the sand and made it a negative and said, okay, well, if you're going to be working longer hours, you need to now come – get called on the carpet and explain why you're working those longer hours. What is it specifically you're doing? Do you have a problem? Do you have a training deficiency? Mm -hmm. You know, is there something wrong? Exactly. You know, is it resource? Is it training? There's there's lots of different things that can lead somebody to take longer time than they employed essentially to do. You know, let's go back to the standard contract, 40 hours per week, yet you're taking 60 hours to achieve that workload. So either we've got your workload wrong and we've Mm -hmm. given you too much work, or you're dragging it out and coming back to Parkinson's law. But there is a cost, and the reason behind it can be for the business as well. Because if you're paying overtime, then somebody's taking 60 hours to do 40 hours work, they're generating 20 hours worth of overtime. So there can be a cost to the business 
by people dragging that out. And, and if you if you are on a contract where you do get paid for the hours you work above and beyond your standard salaried hours, then some people can drag that out again, you know, and think, well, I'll just take a little bit longer to do this and I can have two hours on a Monday evening because I've got nothing planned outside at home. Well, think about those people who do work those extra hours and if the business did not manage that appropriately, they're actually taking advantage of it and using that now as an additional income. So now I work an extra 20 hours per pay period. I'm used to that amount of money and over time, you're more than willing to pay it to me. Now I'm going to stretch out my day. So maybe next time I'll make it 30 and so on and so forth because you'll reward me for that. That's now I work hard and I'm working additional hours more than everybody else. And I'm getting rewarded through my additional pay of which now pays for my car or my, you know, vacation or whatever the case may be. So now you've changed the behavior. You take that away from me now. I'm going to be hurting because it wasn't something that was planned. And if you start managing that differently, that that's really going to affect me in a negative way, or at least that's how I'm going to look at it. Absolutely, and that's that one of the skills, I guess, of being a manager, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and knowing what's going on with your people. And we spoke about leadership before, and leadership and management are two different things. And mm-hmm. just going in and saying, "This is what we got to do." We've got forty hours this week to do it. I don't want to see anybody staying on any later because it's costing the business or. I think I want you to have a work-life balance. But then, you know, there's the guy who's always staying behind. And if you actually sit down and have a conversation with him and say, well, look, what's going on? Because you're staying behind every night. Everybody else is going home and you're staying behind. And you find out he's got problems at home or whatever it may be. And he doesn't want to go back to to his house and, and get enveloped in that problem again. And that's the leadership side of that coming out. Okay, what do we need to do to help you with that? How can we support Mm -hmm. you? Do you need some time off to go and resolve that issue? Do you need to to have more work to get away from the problem if it's at home, whatever it may be, and helping that individual to resolve that issue? Because ultimately, in any business, your greatest asset is the people, you know, and you've got to look after the people and get them to be happy in what they are doing. Because if they're not, they're going to leave, you know, and no matter how bad recessions are and there's there are jobs out there and people can go and find another job. It might be worse paid. You know, it might be longer hours. It might not be what they want to be doing, but if they're that unhappy in the job they're in, they'll go and they'll go and do something else and they'll find that work because that becomes their focus. Then I've got to get out of this job. I can't stand being in work with this company anymore. I can't stand working for Scott and (laughs) off they go. So you've got to treat your people right. And you've got to understand your people, talk to them, find out what's going on, you know, outside of the working environment and get to know them and see where you can support them and make their working life better. Because ultimately, that will lead to them being more productive, more efficient Mm -hmm. and enjoying their work. And that's a positive outcome for everybody, isn't it? A lot of our leadership says, I have an open door policy. I have an open door policy. But then if you actually want to go talk to them about something, they'll say, well, did you go through their chain of command? Which, yes, if you do want to talk to somebody in a higher position about something, you should go through the chain of command. But then don't say that there's an open door policy because then you're contradicting yourself. It's so funny because I only uh, hear open door policy in the military, by the way. And I I agree with you. It's probably one of the dumbest things that ever came out within the military because it's it's never used appropriately. Open door policy doesn't really mean I have an open door. So why even say you have an open door? What you're really trying to say is that I'm open to what it is that you have to say as long as it's been vetted first by all all the people within the chain of command. And they've had the opportunity to agree with you if they don't agree with you, why you bringing it to my attention so so that's not an open door an open door means to your point i want to hear good or bad of what's going on because Mm -hmm. i want the pulse of what's actually happening so that i can make leadership changes and the difference is i don't need an open door policy because i'm going to i'm going to get off my ass and i'm actually going to go down to where the troops are and where the work is being performed and i'm going to see it myself i'm going to talk to the people i'm going to sit down with them at lunch in the cafeteria or the mess hall i'm going to get that exposure and that time to get the feedback that would be 
unbuffered and unfiltered so that I can take it back to drive and change the behavior. That's leadership. That's the difference. But how often does that really happen? Well, good leaders do. I'm telling you that I'm telling you not so good leaders feel like they have to have a policy called open door policy. That's Robert's (laughs) belief of leadership. Because I can tell you in the private sector, I didn't ever have an open door policy because it was always understood. I'm an open book and my door is always open. I don't have to have a policy because we're always going to be communicating at all levels of this command to make sure that we're all in sync and driving towards the same vision. And I want to make sure that you're embracing that. You understand it clearly. You understand what your goals and objectives are, how it ties into that mission, how it ties into that vision so that we can accomplish it together. And I don't need an open door policy in order to accomplish that. I think the rank structure just, it's, it can be intimidating to a lot of people. I know, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. Sometimes I'm scared to go to my superintendent because hey, we're switching to OCPs and I, I came up with an idea and I, I got a, a quote for patches for OCPs and I have to route it before it gets to him instead of just being like, hey, sir, you know, I thought about this. Let me know what you think, which would be so much easier and it would just take five minutes instead of three, four, five days, however long it takes to route, that, route up that idea. And by then it's gone through so many different minds that they change it Little by little, so it's like playing a telephone game. When you do that kind of stuff out here and you see it, that's what—that's how innovation gets stifled. And tell me I'm wrong, Scott, because, I mean, how many times have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say what you're talking about really is, is politics within an environment. Yes, bureaucracy yeah. and politics, yeah. Yeah, and I'm very much not for politics. Yes. And I'm a believer of... If something needs to be said to whoever mm-hmm. it may need to be said, I'll say it. If something yeah. needs to be done, then do yeah. it. Especially exactly. if it's a go do. So in, in my world, there's a go do it, which means that if it makes sense, it's not illegal, it's not immoral, mm-hmm. then and it's fair. Then let's do it. You know, it yes. makes sense. And lot, lots of business use that, don't they, Robert? You know, and they'll just put tasks, for example, the GDIs, you know, or GA. Uh, GDIs, just yeah. go do it. And it, it, when you talk about action planning and and, and processes, and it, if it's that simplistic that somebody can just literally go down to the line and change the speed from four to eight, that's a that, that's a GDI. Just just go do it, you know, and and just get on with it. You don't need to have the bureaucracy and and the politics of well, actually, should we put it up to eight because. It's been running at four for six years and there's been four of the managers before us who were all still here as well. And, you know, they didn't come up with the idea of turning it from four to eight. And we don't really want to make them look bad. Exactly. And that's the reason why you end up having a a failed business or in Mm -hmm. the military, a lot of support, you know, yeah, is because a, a commander says I have an open door policy, yet nobody can get anything up to the commander because it gets killed. And so then people Mm -hmm. say, all right, well, then I'm just going to do my time here. And either the commander or the people who are blocking me are going to be moving on or I'll move on. And then I'll try to implement that change again. And Mm -hmm. or you get to a leadership role where maybe you can drive and change the behavior. That's what you should be doing in the military. I think that's one of the best things I can recommend is that learn from these things that you're seeing around you that are not working very well because some of those mistakes and some of those leadership failures are, are some of the best leadership knowledge that you can gain yeah so that when you get to that role in that position you can make it better for the people below you don't don't do what they did because that's how you learned it and that's how you know Mm -hmm. you were taught and so you had to go through the mud and the you know, the the gore and everything else in order to get there. So why doesn't everybody else have to do that? Well, back in my day, we used to do it this way. I don't understand why you aren't doing it that way anymore. Yeah. You know, there's just some of the things that the older generation tells us. Well, I'm sorry. A lot of things have changed. We've innovated. We're, we're They don't know how to forward. do anything anymore. That's the whole problem. <laughs> <laughs> is they're stuck into whatever uh, era that time frame yeah. is. And you know what? I don't want to hear it. Yeah. What you're describing, AJ, is that they're showing their card. As a as a subordinate, there's only a few things that you can do. You can either help them see the error of their ways through a political way of leading up, as I described before, 
or you're just going to have to go and bide your time and everything else. But that's the same thing within the private sector. If you're starting to see a, a high retention rate within a specific leader's command or responsibility or area, it's usually a dead giveaway that there is a problem because the number mm-hmm. one reason out here in corporate America why people in the private sector leave a company is because of their manager. Poor oh, management. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So people are like, well, hey, especially with unemployment right now, less than 4% in America, people are going to be like, hey, I can go elsewhere. I can prove my value at another location. I don't have to work here. And they'll exercise that right. Within the military, you have a contract. So it's a little limiting. I totally understand that. So you're going to have to use a lot more finesse, a lot more tactfulness in, in trying to get your point across. But still in the end, if you're wondering military why it is that you have a retention problem it may have more to do with the bureaucracy that's created that poor management that's within and maybe some of the ways in which you guys are learning management and leadership is outdated in itself yeah it it's outdated uh and and i know that the military having served for 20 plus years that they end up using a system and they use it for a long time without making too many Any changes. changes. Yep. Because it's worked back then. Why wouldn't it work now? Right? Well, that's what they're thinking. Yes. But yep. I mean, it's it's always evolving just like the people are. I hope that the military evolves as fast as their people are evolving. I feel like that that would be a beneficial change. And I'm seeing it right now with the Air Force. We are moving forward with a lot of new changes our leaders up in washington they are making some decisions because they're listening to their airmen they're listening to what everybody has to say but of course there's there's those little changes that i wish were also being made within my unit in 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 a smaller group but i'll be able to make those changes i'll be able to do those things so that that's what what motivates me and and keeps me moving forward that i may not like it right now but guess what? I'm working my butt off to prove myself that I deserve that next rank. And when I get to that next rank, I will be able to implement my ideas and those ideas that are below me. Because I will have an open door policy when I get up there where there's not going to be any hidden messages or anything like that. You can see me sitting there with a big, huge smile on my face. It's, I love, AJ, the way you see the bigger picture with... I'm going to work my ass off to get up the ladder so I can influence the system. And that's very, very rare to see in people because they look at themselves. How can I improve my own situation? And you're not looking at that. You're looking at the bigger picture and how can you improve other people's situation to make it better for the whole, you know, essentially, ultimately, potentially the air force the the u.s air force and you may not ever get in a position where you can influence the entire air force but you may be able to Mm -hmm. uh, improve a squadron or regiment or or whatever depending upon where you go um, and how high you go don't you limit her dreams robert (laughs) i'm sorry just let me be (laughs) (laughs) we are a team and we need to be helping each other out no matter what um, I, I would love to say that everybody feels that same way and that they should rally to that message. But uh, I think to Scott's uh, point, not everybody. Yeah. Well, I don't think everybody just really buys into that. And I, I think that a lot of times, even out here in the private sector, a lot of people use the me, 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 and they're not really seeing the value of um, not only what they should be providing to the organization, <clears throat> but um instead of looking at what the organization can provide them as far as value, they should be looking at what value it is that they can provide the organization. Once they start Mm -hmm. learning that that should take place, then they end up actually growing within an organization so much better because the organization starts seeing that um, they have potential to go into leadership. Rosa, Scott, you're, you're kind of smiling at me. What are you, am I saying something? didn't, Didn't you have a president who said something like that? Ask what, not what you can do for your country. (laughs) <laughs> john f kennedy yeah, yeah yes that's not what your country can do for you, for you but what you can do for your country yeah. absolutely you know and and the wise words aren't they 
and it's exactly what yeah. you've just said there, Robert. You know, and and all too often people are quite selfish and looking at the themselves. What can I get out of this? You know, but it's it's so refreshing, AJ, to to hear someone like yourself talking about. I want to be able to influence to make things better for other people. Would you know? So they don't have to go through the shitty things that I went through and the mm-hmm. bad times, and you know, and, and you'll remember the good points. And you'll remember the bad points as well. And hopefully you can change things to get rid of some of the bad points and improve on uh, some of the good points or expand some of the good points so that ultimately there's more goods than bads. And that's what keeps people in a row. You know, and uh, when when I was in the army, somebody said to me, you know, it's time to leave when there's more bads than there's goods. And that's the time to knock it on the head. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, I could see it going that way and the British Army was changing and I I wanted to get married as well. So there was external influences and I said, enough's enough and, and I'm going to knock it on the head. But if yeah. you can get to a point where you can influence that, you know, and you, you're talking about troop level, squadron level, regiment level, you can influence at varying degrees for varying numbers of people. But it isn't just about you. If, if you're in a troop and you can influence within your own section, for example. That's mm-hmm. seven other people that you are doing something that's going to improve their time in the military. I feel bad for yes. those people who have never experienced what you just described or had a leader that thought that way or led that way. <clears throat> and if you haven't had that opportunity, that's unfortunate. But is it because you're not really looking uh, for that individual and it's more woe is me or are you actively trying to find that type of mentor or leader within your unit? I, I would say that if you look around, you might find some people that are actually trying to make a change, trying to make a difference, and trying to lead through ways that are not just through just the example, but just because they're just good leaders. They're just individuals that truly care about their people. Mm-hmm. They're trying to maximize the benefit. They're trying to look at the best way that they can do things through a quality effort, maximize the people's time, their own time, um, to drive the individuals towards the organizational's, uh, organization's vision. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's coming full circle, but it's really about you can do that either as a subordinate trying to manage up or you can do that as a leader managing down. And at some point it comes back to to you. What are you doing to drive that behavior, that change to make a difference? Or are you sitting back and waiting for that to happen to you? And if you're waiting, change starts with you. Oh, are we trying to come? I think it's another cliche thing, right? So, but (laughs) but yeah, it's so true that it really starts and ends with you, and you have to figure out how can you maximize your time. Quit procrastinating. Figure out a better way to get it done. How you can maximize your people's time. Focus on the right metrics. You know, um, allow people the ability to. Uh, provide new ideas and being innovative because that'll help change the behavior and drive a change so that you get better quality output. Completely. Don't be a dinosaur. (laughs) Well said, Scott. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at mentors, the number four MIL, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio.